0: All right, great job. Thank you very much Teresa. Thank you all for participating and helping out. That was fantastic. Excellent, excellent job. So here we are with the infamous Sunday that goes between Christmas and New Year's and the benches are pretty much filled up. I'm impressed because often Uh, This is the one where we're not 100% sure if we're still on Christmas break or not, and what does Christmas break all include. Uh, Perhaps it even includes not being in church on Sunday morning, and so uh, fantastic to see you guys all here this morning. We're going to cap off our Advent series, the series that was focused on the words, um, coming home. We began four weeks ago on December the 2nd by looking at Isaiah chapter 64 where the Israelites do a, a good objective analysis of the world around them and they decide that the, uh, that the evidence of God in the world around them is lacking and they need more of God and so their plea becomes for God to come on down. come on home, come here on earth, we need you here because our world is strangely void of your influence. And so that was the beginning, it was the call for God to come down home. And then we took a little bit of a look at the fact that really home for all of us is wherever we meet with Jesus. Mike talked to us a little bit about that. Home is um, when joy is in our heart. I tried to explain that a little bit. Jesse talked a little bit about all of us making a home for Jesus or for God. And then on Christmas morning, uh, just a couple days ago, we talked about the fact that the manger uh, is home for everyone. Everyone is home at or by the manger. Today on this Sunday, that's between Christmas and New Year's, Uh, we want to look one more time at this home theme and I want to take you to the middle of Luke chapter 2 where Jesus, uh, or where Joseph and Mary take baby Jesus to the temple for a little bit of a ceremony and they meet two interesting people while they are there in the temple and those two people are Simeon and Anna both of whom speak prophecy over this little baby and tell us a little bit more about who he is and what the purpose of his life is going to be, what he is going to be all about and then they kind of along with that they introduce for us or help us to move toward the theme for today which is going home again and I think it's kind of unique that that's our theme this morning when we uh, remember uh, Helen Friesen uh, terrific pillar person in our church who has just gone home uh, again. And so that's our theme for this morning, going home again. So because of their system, uh, Mary and Joseph, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, they go to the temple. And uh, they go there for two reasons. They make two sacrifices. One is uh, a sacrifice for the purification of Mary, the mother who has just given birth. And the other one is a sacrifice for the redemption of every firstborn son. And so those were kind of rituals. We don't have the time this morning to go into the specifics uh, of what those sacrifices were all about. But those were the two sacrifices, the two rituals that they were going to uh, accomplish when they go to the temple with the baby Jesus forty days after his birth. While they're in the temple they have two unique encounters with individuals who have seem to have some type of a special connection with God. Let me read the short story about these two special encounters that they have with these two people. It's found in Luke chapter 2 and it starts with verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Fenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It's hard to know exactly what it was that Simeon and Anna felt or experienced when they met the baby Jesus in the temple that day. I'm not sure if you've ever kind of tried to imagine. Whatever it was, I wish that I could feel and experience that. Because it changed them. It was life-changing for them. It caused Simeon to say, Now I'm ready to die. Wow! That must have been an amazing moment to cause that kind of a transformation within him. He sees in this child the hope of Israel and the salvation of all people, including the Gentiles. Somehow Simeon got it. That the birth was the beginning. As we talked about on Christmas morning, the beginning of drawing all people to the manger. The manger was for everyone. And for Anna, well, after she had seen the baby Jesus, she couldn't contain herself. She begins to speak out openly. Although this was very uncharacteristic for women in their day and age, just like it had been very uncharacteristic for the shepherds in their time. But meeting Jesus somehow propelled her to be counter-cultural and to go around speaking about what she had just seen. To connect with all the other people that were looking for redemption. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. And again, creating a bit of a window into the life of this little baby and what it was all going to be about. So there's many different ways that we could kind of break down this prophecy of these two people. Um, but I want to, for this morning, for the purpose of time and everything else, we, we, we need to kind of condense this. I'm simply going to take... Um, Three words, words that are kind of uniquely connected, and I'm going to try and kind of show you how. Some scholars would say that these three words largely summarize this prophecy of both Simeon and Anna. These three words are falling and rising. They kind of go together. Those are the words spoken by Simeon. He prophesies that Jesus is destined to cause the falling and rising of many. And then the third word, and this is the one used by Anna, is the word redemption. Redemption. Falling, rising, and redemption. One commentary called the combination of these words, I I kind of like this, the impact crater... Of the coming of the Messiah. These three words capture and become the impact creator of the coming of the Messiah. Here's just a quick note to remember as we go through these words. Uh, The original Greek helps us to understand that all three of these words are continuous words. They are nouns actually. But they are continuous nouns. These are activities. That happen continuously. And so the implication is that these are things that Jesus is going to do for the rest of time. This is not a once and for all activity that's going to happen at some point in history. This is something that will continuously be happening for the rest of time. And Jesus is going to be the one that is going to make this continuously, this continuous activity go on and on and on. So let me quickly define these three words, as uh, they are given to us in the original context. First of all, the word falling, the word that's translated falling, so the original word here translated falling um, simply means a downward displacement in rank or power or status. So it's actually kind of a political word in its original context, Um, somebody that would have been a a high-ranking official and moves down in rank for whatever reason or something that was very very important in everybody's mind for some reason it moves down in rank in our world it could have something could be used in the context of sports teams um, the the Stanley Cup champions last year or the year before the year before and then you see them move down in rank or other teams and so it's the moving down in rank falling is the word and then right on the heels of that word uh, the word rising. Falling and rising. The word rising in its original context here is the same word used for resurrection or bringing something back to life. Something that has lost its significance and is maybe all but dead and bringing it back and not just bringing it back to life but bringing it back to position of significance and importance. So the falling and the rising the unique thing about that is that, that there's something about um, the changing. It's almost like the changing of the guard. There's going to be some type of an inverting happening. Through the coming of Jesus in his ministry. The things that were very important are going to become very, of very little importance. And the things that seem to have lost their importance are going to rise back to being in place of, of, of significant significant importance. So the, the falling and the rising. And then the word redemption uh, and the word redemption translated here redemption in its original context simply means the process of buying something back. So buying something back. Typically someone who would have been taken into captivity uh, and and somebody that somehow is being bought back from their Place of being in captivity. So let me speak about the falling and rising thing just a little bit. And then as we close, we're going to pick up uh, the word redemption at the end. Uh, It was an interesting exercise for me this week. Trying to think about all the implications of this comment by Simeon. Um, He's destined to cause the falling and the rising of many. First off, my mind went back to the message that Jesse preached here a week ago. Where he highlighted the song that Mary sung in Luke chapter 1 after Elizabeth had uh, spoken again some prophetic words uh, about her unborn baby. And Jesse highlighted how the song presents a God who brings down those who are in lofty positions... And at the same time lifts up those who find themselves in oppressed life circumstances. And he shared this slide that, that is up here already. And, and God also is one that, that sends the rich away empty. And he fills those who are hungry. And he also brings down the rulers and he lifts up or helps the servant and then Jesse made an interesting comment and I had never thought of this before he said what happens to the proud when they are scattered the first thing they become humble what happens to the rich when they are sent away empty they become hungry what happens to rulers when they are brought down they become servants and what does God do to the humble and the hungry and the servants he lifts them up again and so that's this that's this perfect picture of this falling and then rising god lifts them up he feeds them he helps them he brings them back I had never, never thought about it like that before and in some ways it almost seems like it, it kind of becomes a cycle and so Mary sings about this before Jesus was born and then the birth of Jesus happens and here now we're in the temple 40 days later and, and, and here comes this interesting spirit filled prophecy about this little baby's life and what it's all going to be about and it perfectly matches the song that Mary sang almost a year earlier when she was first pregnant with, and found out that she was pregnant with the baby Jesus. And then I began to think about how much of the Bible is really about this crazy cycle of falling and rising. And I started thinking about the Old Testament and the children of Israel. It's actually, when you read that story, it, it sometimes is almost becomes humorous. Really? Again? And it's the story over and over and over about how the people, God blesses them and they're in a position of power and and while they find themselves in this affluent position of power, they slowly drift away from God and they become conceited in their own position and in their power and they begin to fall. And they are down for a period of time, wallowing in their misery and in their despair. And then they all of a sudden, ding, 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 they begin to realize oh, yeah, right, God. And they begin to pray again to God and they begin to plead again with God to come and to fill them. And as they begin to plead with God and as God is allowed to re-enter their lives, they begin to rise again out of that place of despair and that place of misery. And they begin to rise up again. And then if you keep reading... Slowly as they gain that position of power and as they become used to it and they live in that, they begin to drift away from God again. And the cycle just keeps, seems to just keep on going over and over and over again for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And we chuckle when we look at that. We say, will they never learn? And then if you're brave enough, then you take a good look at your own life and you, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly what happens to me. And so it happens over and over in the Old Testament and then we come into the New Testament and the life and the teaching of Jesus and Simeon here is prophesying what that is going to look like and you see that a major theme of Jesus' ministry here on earth is all about trying to break it to the wise and the lofty and the rich and the arrogant that they are no more special than anybody else. And it's actually a little disturbing at times how much Jesus lifts up the oppressed and how much he puts down the rich and the proud and the powerful ones. I preached a message in our church a long time ago. Somebody, some of you might still remember little snippets of it, if you do, pretty good. Um, But I'm still captivated by the truth of it. And I was speaking all about small. And I was speaking about how consumed we are in our world with big and how much it seems that Jesus likes small and how he inverts the power system in his world and so he lifts up the small boy with five small loaves and two small fish and he lifts up the widow who put two small coins into the offering and he lifts up the little children that were brought to him for blessing and then being shooed away And then he tells a story, and this is the one that often disturbs me, about a rich man dying and going to hell, and the poor man dying and going to heaven. And in that story, the only difference between the two is the fact that one is rich and one is poor. And we try and very quickly add details to the story to make it acceptable for ourselves, but those details are actually not there. It is simply a story of a rich man being brought down, and a poor man being lifted up and sometimes that bothers me it bothers me because when I look at the world I clearly see myself very much on the rich side of the ledger and so I have to figure out what that means for me he is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many another major theme of Jesus ministry was to reveal to the Jews That they were not a people with special privilege based solely on their bloodlines any longer. Over and over Jesus breaks this to them. In today's terminology we would say he causes their falling. He is inverting their power system. And he calls them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs and he reminds them that they are liars and oppressors and that they are not actually true sons of Abraham and with that he knocks away a huge prop out from underneath their pious, holier-than-thou, manufactured position. And then he turns around and invites the Gentile sinners and the outcast Samaritans and the sinning prostitutes into his kingdom saying that they will enter the kingdom before the pious Jewish religious leaders will inverting the system he is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Luke chapter 14 Jesus tells the story of a person that's going to a banquet and this person goes to a banquet and this person decides that they are going to take the seat of honor surely the host of the banquet would love to have me sit in this special seat of honor and then however this person is asked by the host of the banquet to take a lesser seat because that seat was actually reserved for someone else rather Jesus says take the lowest seat and then if the host wants to he can invite you up rather than needing to bring you down and then he concludes that little story by saying for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, falling, rising. Jesus himself exemplifies that. While speaking about the manger here on Christmas morning, we took note of the fact that Jesus came in as lowly a way as possible. He came to an unwed couple with impure ancestry, born while on the road, born in a little obscure town and in that little obscure town, in a little stable, with his mode of transportation the way the poor people travel, where the poor people sleep, and then spending his first night in a manger. That was about as lowly as you could write the script. And then when Easter comes, if we take another good look then we realize that he continued that same script by dying in as lowly a way as possible on a cross like a criminal between two thieves the criminal Barabbas chosen to be released rather than him right at the bottom and then he was given even one more position of being one step lower yet as lowly a way as possible Jesus dies then in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 we are given this challenge using Jesus as an example have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, but it's not quite finished. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, falling as low as possible, and then rising up. Quite a while ago, in my time of contemplating and listening and praying about my role as a pastor and leader and teacher, I received this. Validate humanity that is struggling to hold it together. And challenge humanity that is arrogant about having it together. I feel like that was much of what Jesus did while he was on earth. He challenged people who thought they had it all figured out. In today's terminology, causing their falling. And he lifted up the ones that were open about the fact that they were struggling to get life figured out. Causing their rising up. And this falling and rising, like I said at the beginning, those are continuous words, it's ongoing, it's not a once and for all activity. This happens continuously in our lives. You struggle with trying to figure things out and gain victory in some part of your life, and then some things do come together, and you do get some things figured out, and that is fantastic, and you feel like you've won a little victory, and then you suddenly realize that as you rise to that level, All of a sudden, a whole new level is unveiled for you again. And you realize again how little you actually know and how big the struggles are there. And in some way, it seems that you start all over again. And sometimes it feels like you're in this crazy hamster wheel. Just when I thought I was getting someplace, then I realize how far I yet have to go. And over and over and over. But here's the thing. Allow God to do the rising in you. You don't have to lift yourself up. God will do that. Take the lowest seat at the banquet and then allow the host of the banquet to come and invite you forward. And by now you're saying, okay Darren, our time is pretty much up and you still haven't talked about the word redemption. How does the word redemption fit into this rising and falling, ongoing, continuous activity? Well, God is continuously, in this process, buying us back, through Jesus. In the middle of this falling and rising, or throughout the falling and rising activity, God is in the business of buying us back. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that God allowed a messenger of Satan to torment him, in order to keep him from becoming conceited, falling. And in the middle of that experience, when he was down there, God says to him, Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. A while ago, I asked you this question that went something like this. If this is true, then is weakness really a weakness? if needing to know and feel that you are at the bottom of yourself and coming to understand that my only way back up is through Jesus and His gracious gift then is weakness really a weakness. I may be making something of nothing I don't know, no commentary seemed to help me out on this one but I I happen to believe um, that in view of this redemption thing that the order of the two words that we just finished talking about falling and rising in Simeon's prophecy are significant. Jesus doesn't cause rising and falling, but he does cause falling and rising. You can think about that a little bit more. But I would just say it like this. I think it's fair to say that the end goal, God's end goal is always rising. if you take a look at Romans chapter 11 there's a few very interesting verses that I want to highlight as we move towards closing Romans 11:30 30 to 32 uh, I'm going to read 30 and 31 and then 32 is going to be up on the screen just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. Now listen to this. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Falling so that he can lift them up. Falling and rising and redemption. He is in the process every minute of every day buying you back. It's what he does. It's who he is. But we need to get to the bottom of ourselves first. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Some of you are old timers like me you will remember a guy that used to sing for the Janes team. His name was Jack Stenegas. He had an album. I remember a few words from that album. My parents used to play it when I was in my teens. These are the words that I remember. The only words that I remember from the whole album. When you realize your worthlessness before the Lord, he will lift you up. Today we sing, we bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh Spirit, come make us humble. This has been one of my prayers. God, please keep me humble and dependent on you. Help me to always know that I need you. I don't want to have to go through great trials... So that, I come to a place of recognizing my need for God. The trials will come. But I don't want to have to go through them so that. God, please, I invite you to cause a falling and rising in me. I want to recognize my need for God all the time and then one day according to Romans chapter 8 there will be a great redemption culmination there will come a time for each of us when that ongoing work of redemption through Jesus is finally gonna be complete hallelujah one from our church family an incredible church mother Helen Friesen experienced that this week I said on Christmas Day that the sign of the manger was humility I feel like it is safe to say that the sign of the manger is still humility. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Amen.